No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And once again, we live up to uh, that lofty introduction because uh, we got a crazy one for you tonight. Coming to us live from, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Shen, Shenzhen, China, is BOA Audio. Did I get it? Yeah, you got it. Nice. Shenzhen, China, BOA Audio listener and now author. Carl DeMarco, and uh, we're celebrating tonight the release of the book because it just came out today. So, and it is titled China Weird, and uh, as I said, by Carl DeMarco, China Weird. And I wrote the foreword for it. Uh, I'm honored uh, that he asked me to do it. So, and I really made him pay for it by dragging it out for a long time. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, I had like. It, you know, Carl says that I, you know, uh, I sort of planted the seed for this, but he did all the work, man. He he did all everything, and uh, and he's produced a book, folks, and it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, I really I really enjoyed it quite a bit. So congratulations, Carl. Welcome back to the show. Uh, you know, congrats. I don't know what else to say, man. I'm I'm really uh, I'm I'm blown away that you did this. Well, uh, yeah, actually, I, I, I do blame you for it because it was uh, your idea and uh, encouragement that uh, led to the project. But uh, it, it turned out to be kind of fun, really, and uh, I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad you put me up to it. And uh, thanks for the excellent foreword, which you did write. It was worth the wait. So where shall we go from here? I guess tell people a little bit about the book because you know I I presume it's a lot of obviously been all of America uh, you know listeners who have heard you before on the show but uh, for those who you know who are new who are just picking this up who didn't hear that first appearance uh, tell us you know who is Carl DeMarco and how did how did you end up in China in the first place um, you know, and, and give us the background and that stuff so people can get it. Because I'm sure, like, listening, you know, you say we have you on, you're in Shenzhen, China. It's like, what's this guy doing in Shenzhen, China? So, like, tell us the background, the bio, catch us up to speed. All right. Well, that's good because it actually relates to a couple of the stories in the book anyway. Uh, I came here originally in 2002 uh, on a Qigong study tour. Qigong is a kind of uh, Chinese martial art. Uh, my teacher, uh, Michael Wynn, uh, 
uh, was running a tour over here to study with various uh, teachers and masters and so forth, learn different things as well as taking the sites around China. And we made the trip in the fall of 2002. It was right after the October 1st holiday, so we could avoid the big travel rush. And we went to a lot of really interesting places. Uh, we studied like uh, Qigong medicine at Beijing University Hospital. We studied Bagua uh, uh, John with a circle walker. We went and uh, stayed in caves on uh, Huashan, which is uh, sometimes called Mount Hua in English or Huashan Mountain. And while I was here, I realized China was very, very different than the Cold War images. Many of us uh, still harbor in our minds about China or the uh, backward, filthy place that many of us get off of CNN. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, it was really fantastic. It was like a place that was lively and waking up and interesting. And uh, I said, you know, I could like, I would walk down streets in cities, uh, Xi'an or Yangshuo, and people would stop me and say, excuse me, where are you from? And I'd say, well, I'm from America. And they'd say, well, how would you like a job teaching English? It was that easy. So I thought, gee, I could get a job teaching English and spend a year over here studying more Qigong and the English would pay for it. And so I went home and settled some affairs, <clears throat> excuse me, and got a job in uh, Guangxi province in a really uh, <laughs> crap hole sort of a town called Guigong that was ugly and dirty. Uh, the people that I worked with were exceptionally nice and uh, hospitable. I still have friends there and moved to Shenzhen from there as soon as I could get a job. Uh, I was the only foreigner in town. It was kind of weird, man. You know, you, I, I would go out to eat, uh, usually alone, and I'd be sitting in a restaurant or an outdoor uh, setting sort of a thing at a table right outside the restaurant. And people would stop and stare. Crowds would gather. Some people would walk up to me and touch me and see if I was real because I was the only foreigner in this place. And I was getting kind of tired of that scene as much as I, I liked the school and the people I was working with. So I contacted the agent who got me a job, and he uh, moved me to Shenzhen, uh, which was pretty spectacular. It's a brand-new city. The whole city, was, it's about... 15 or 16 million people now. The whole thing has been built only since 1980. Really? So, yeah. It's, That's amazing. Uh, oh, it is. I mean, when the Chinese put their minds to something, they they, they get it done. And uh, Shenzhen is a really good example of that. And it's, I think, the best city in China to live in. Everybody overseas from Europe and North America wants to go to Shanghai or Beijing. Well, I say poo-poo to that, sir. I say Shenzhen is the best quality of life you find around here. And I can literally walk into Hong Kong, you know, the, that a the good border thing? crossing. Yeah, you need it sometimes, I guess, if you uh, miss the food or want to do difference? some shopping, you can't do What's uh, the difference? I would say the Western food is a lot better over there. 
you have more movies. Uh, you have English bookstores. Uh, okay, so it's like a little more Americanized? Yeah, it's a lot more like New York, just more Chinese people. Interesting. Yeah, uh, really excellent parks and world-class museums over there, too. So those are the things China's still catching up on. Uh, but the, the movie offerings are really good. So sometimes me and the wife will skip over there to catch a flick. So that's the background on China. The background on who I am, uh, I guess I'll just uh, start with growing up in the D.C. area. I uh, come from uh, an Italian and Polish family. The Italian culture, I would say, is dominant and a little superstitious. And we've always had ghosts in the family growing up, you know, influenced my worldview quite a bit. Um, I would say just about everyone in my family has lived in a haunted house. The, one of the favorite pastimes is to sit around the table after dinner and share family stories, many of which included ghost tales. And uh, I developed an interest in mysterious creatures and UFOs early on. And I think I mentioned this the first time I was on. I, I got sick when I was about nine or ten years old and had this book. I read a small paperback, which is impossible to find now, uh, called uh, Mysteries, Myths, and Monsters. And I read that book, and it was about the time, or shortly before the time, that uh, In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy was coming on the air. Yeah. And I had an aunt and uncle who were very much into Chariots of the Gods, and this was a lot of their dinnertime conversation. So uh, that, that kind of launched me early on into these things. And Nice, nice. Yeah. I've just never, you know, been widely criticized or ridiculed by the family. The family's always had broad interests in just about everything and loved intellectual debate. So, you know, any topic was fair game. And uh, that's about that. So. So when you uh, decided those, to write. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was going to say some of those uh, family ghost stories actually make it into the book as they pertain to the experiences in China because I draw, say, uh, similarities or analogies uh, between the, the occurrences. So I just wanted to add that one last quick note. <laughs> yeah, that's, those are in the book. Those are in the book. So uh, what are you doing over there, the dishes? No, I just slid the chair out. Uh, they don't have heated houses in Shenzhen, so I wanted to pull a pair of sleep pants over my shorts while I'm sitting here. They don't, it's, there's no heat? They No house south of the Yangtze River has heat in China. They, I guess they figure it's warm enough in the winter. I don't know why, but it's it's not really. This is dude, this is why I like talking to you. This is uh this is why I'm so excited that you wrote the book cuz it's like we have a man in China, <laughs> folks. We've got a man in China who's telling us not just about the paranormal, but this stuff about that's what I love about the book. Uh I mentioned in the foreword too. It's it's and we talked about it before we went on the air here tonight. It's uh it's it's 
not just like a paranormal book. It's a sort of a travel log. Uh, as you can tell just from talk, just from listening here, folks, it's like uh, Carl has a lot to say, and he picks up on a lot of details, and they come across really well in the book where you really like this thing here about the heat, uh, the no heat under the river and all that stuff. It's like that's in the book too. Not that isn't in the book, but uh, you know, insights like that where you're like, what? That's weird. Like, uh, well, Carl, tell the story. This is completely unparanormal, but that's fine. Tell the story about the bus and, and the and the um, I think you called it a new form of kung fu, right? Oh yeah, uh, I, that's you know it's tangentially paranormal. I mean, this guy, this bus driver, seemed to have some kind of paranormal ability. But uh, what it was is my girlfriend at the time and I were trying to get up to Wudong Shan. Now, Wudong Shan was made famous in a movie that many of your listeners will probably at least have heard of if they haven't seen it, called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm. It was probably the first uh, Chinese movie, mainland Chinese movie, that was a big hit in the States. I think it came out, what, in like uh, 1998 or 99. And it had a Hong Kong star who had probably seen screen time in the States already named Chow Young Fat. And uh, it also introduced to the world his sexy co-star, uh, Zhang Ziyi, who I think was even in a Steven Spielberg movie about geisha girls a few years ago. So, uh, if your listeners haven't seen that, they can check it out. It's in Chinese with English subtitles, and I'll introduce to them Wudong Shan, which uh, I already knew about, but uh, they put it in a very mystical and romantic light. Well, uh, I had been going to a Qigong doctor here in Shenzhen at the Guangzhou University Hospital of Chinese Medicine, and I was going to him for, gee, I can't even remember what my problem was now. I think it was a shoulder injury or something like that. And uh, I, uh, would, he was a Qigong doctor, and he and I would talk a little bit about Qigong and crack jokes back and forth. Really great guy named Dr. Joe. In fact, when my mom traveled over here to visit me a couple of years later, he cured her sciatica. All right. Wow. And he had been to doctors, so many doctors in the States, specialists, the best doctors of all kinds. And uh, they could like relieve pain or give temporary relief and this kind of thing. And uh, no one could, there is no cure for sciatica. Well, this guy's cured it ever since she came here. That was uh, 2004 or five, I guess. She hasn't had any problems with it. It's never bothered her again. And anyway, uh, so you're going to see I asked him, yeah, so oh, I, I, I asked him if he knew anybody at Wudongshan that I could connect with for, you know, to, to, to deepen my mystical knowledge and, and, and Qigong powers and so forth. And exactly. he turned me on to this, yeah, he, he turned me on to this guy named Jian uh, Li Ying or something like that. Um, uh, so... My girlfriend at the time and I uh, arranged this trip to go to Wudong Shan, and it's in a very remote location. 
there's an airport not far from there, but it's very hard to get to. And the closest airport of any size that has regular flights would be the city of Wuhan. Okay. Wuhan is in Hubei province and then Wudong Shan is, I don't know, eight, 10 hours north of there, also in uh, uh, Hubei province. Mm-hmm. So, so she and I, we, yeah, it, yeah it's, 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 I, I think travel has gotten here a lot better now than the time at which the story takes place, but we wanted to get there. And uh, my, my, at that time, I, I could, really couldn't speak any Chinese and she was fairly fluent English. So I asked her to do the travel plans at the time. She was very busy trying to set up this new business for herself in Guangzhou. So I thought she had arranged the the bus travel from Wuhan to Wudong and all of this. And as it turns out, she hadn't. And Uh you want me to tell like this whole story, all going, getting to Wuhan and finding the hotel or just the the, the bus driver's uh, remarkable powers? Well, I had originally just <laughs> I originally really just 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 was sort of like making the point about the you know how different okay, this, right, uh, right. regular bus so, ride is between the two okay, countries. But right. well, well, I, you know, you're telling me all this stuff that's incredibly interesting. So I'm not I'm not interrupting you to say no 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 because now I'm like right. now I'm like now I'm like thinking about this mountain and <laughs> crouching tiger hidden dragon. You've got me all over the place. Yeah. And I'm just right. I'm just listening. So, uh, you know, don't don't ask me to do my job here, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tell us the uh, story about the buses, and we can circle back around to 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 your, okay. your journey to the mountains. So, we we can't get a bus to Wudong. It is one of the golden weeks, which at that time Chinese people had, I think, three holidays, and one of them was May first for. Labor Day. Communists celebrate Labor Day on May 1st, not September, all right? Mm-hmm. So this is one of the big travel weeks. You have a billion people all trying to travel at the same time. And she hadn't booked a bus tickets. We had no bus to Wudong. We find out from the concierge at the hotel there's this bus station across the street, and they've booked an extra bus for that day for 2 p.m. Nice. And we get on that bus, and it's overbooked. Every seat is full, and they've put these little plastic stools in the aisle to take even more people. This is like a disaster so waiting the, to happen. It, it is. I mean, can you imagine an emergency evacuation in this situation? It would just be <laughs> a, a giant scrum of desperate uh, bus passengers all, you know, getting oh, burned as a... As, as the bus, you know, rolls down a cliff in flames or something. Exactly well, what I was imagining, Jesus. Yeah, but that, yeah. Is, that is not what happened. But something almost as tragic uh, happened uh, on your trip. So go on. Right, right. So anyway, the bus driver is driving and driving and driving. We're going through this Chinese countryside, uh, very beautiful plains. The, the spring crops are coming up. There's, you know, it's like just a, this drive through the, the uh, Yellow River Plain is uh, – we're on the way to this city called Xiangfan, which is the only bus we could get. There's no bus actually all the way to Wudong. And it's about an eight-hour drive, right? Well, this bus driver's going on for like four hours, and he still hasn't stopped, and everybody's desperately got to piss, you know? But they're not saying anything. And this is one way that 
you know, uh, the, the locals are very different from Americans is if, if we've paid for something and we expect a certain level of service, we're going to complain if we don't get it. Well, uh, my girlfriend, of course, was from the younger generation of Chinese, and they were brought up differently and had a different worldview. So finally, she yells out, you know, in, in Chinese, hey, when are you going to stop the bus? We have to piss. <laughs> and the conductor, all right, the, the, the conductor for the bus, they usually have these, uh, these young women who pass out water to the passengers and check tickets and so forth. And uh, I'm not really sure the job is necessary, but they like have a flight it. Attendant? She stands up. Yeah, it's kind of like a I flight attendant, but yeah, on I a bus. Yeah, I got Okay. Yeah. And she, she stands up and she says, okay, we'll stop at the next gas station, right? So you can imagine, like, you know, the worst shithole gas station you can find in America. And I, I remember seeing one of these on a road trip one time. You go in there, the place is foul and smells horrible and stuff. Well, this is the kind of place we stopped. And we pulled in there. Everybody dashes for the door. The people in the aisle can't get up fast enough. People are falling down to get out, climbing over one another, stepping on each other. You know, it looked like, a, a, you know, a fourth and goal situation with three seconds left in the Super Bowl, you know. And I was thinking, my God, all these other people had to piss also, and they didn't say anything. They were just going to sit there and take it until whenever this guy stopped. Well, as we got off the bus, I noticed that the bus driver doesn't move. He just sits there. And, he, and he's waiting for everybody to go do their business and come back on the bus, all right? And I'm thinking, doesn't that guy have to piss? He's been sitting in that seat for four hours. God knows how long he was there before he picked us up. God knows how long before he's going to stop again. Well, he just stayed there. And, uh, the, he didn't uh, even get up to – did he get uh, – not even stretch no, his legs he, or anything? No, just stayed in his seat. And Jesus. I came back. He's still sitting there. Uh, everybody gets back on the bus and we drive off to this city called Xiangfan. The guy did not move. All right. Four hours later. So we're driving for eight hours. It's now like dark. It's midnight. The guy, so I guess that's really like a 10 hour trip. The guy lets everybody off the bus, closes the door and drives away. So he didn't piss for at least 10 or 11 hours. And I'm thinking, I know what this is. I, I, I know what this guy's doing. He, he has probably been to Wudong Shan, studied there many years, and learned the secret art of iron bladder kung fu. He's got an <laughs> iron bladder. He can control this in some, you know, with some mystical kung fu power where, you know, he sort of... Uh, transpires vaporously his the the extra water in his body through his skin pores or something well I, you know that's possible i guess part of me wonders all it, it in in a bit more serious way if it's like maybe you think it's almost that like he's in some intense form of meditation or something but like he, he can kind of put himself in some zone first first i was wondering if he was maybe a robot to be honest with you <laughs> like no, like, I don't flesh know. and blood, all right, but I mean, I mean, it's possible.
possible. I mean, I've, I've drove and driven. I've driven for, for many hours. You know, I've, I've done 12, 14-hour drives. And you do get into kind of a zone on those sorts of road trips. But I still had to pull over, you know, every two hours yeah. or so to take a leak. Especially, like, if you're doing coffee, you know. So, but was he drinking uh, anything? He probably wasn't drinking anything. I, I didn't see him, but ever since that, okay, that was – I, I don't remember now if that was the 2004 or the 2005 trip, but uh, ever since then, I have never had a single drop of liquid on a bus ride in China because I just don't know if, if the bus driver is going to stop or not. And I, when we go back to visit my in-laws and stuff in my wife's hometown, she's like, don't you want any water? And I'm like, I have to tell you every time, never eat or drink on a bus in China. You know, and she said, oh, I don't know why you do that. So I don't know. But that was that was it. So this guy had like amazing uh, urine retention powers like I've never seen before. So I'll tell you what, man, I, I, I did I did a vision quest. This, this Navajo medicine man put me in 1999 in the wilderness of Oregon. And I didn't drink anything uh, for I don't know, six or seven days. Really? I don't even know what that. Yeah. I'm. I, when was this? When you lived in America? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was uh, before I came to China. I, 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 some friends of mine, we just quit our in uh, 1999, went on the road, a sort of peripatetic lifestyle, became nomads and whatnot, and one of the things that I wanted to do, uh, one of the last things I had worked on was uh, the Indians in uh, called the Rural Remote and Distinct Community Program. All right, hold on and now, when Carl. Carl that, stop, hold on, Carl. Stop for a minute. Yeah. You're breaking up a little bit on me, so let's, t- let's take a pause and maybe see if that helps. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, man. Uh Last time I'll be back seen to, what's what's that, man? Are we back together? Can you hear me? I can hear you. You 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 uh you're breaking up a bit here now. Uh, let's hope that maybe it goes away. I don't know. Use your okay. use your uh use your magical powers that you've devised from uh. Tell us now about the mountain trip because you. I will. Because that uh. We we started on this, so you do you know we kind of left off at the <laughs> at the at the at the when the bus drops you off. But I mean, uh, I, I think people were enchanted by the mountain and 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 the knowledge you sought when you went there. So talk talk about that. Ah, uh, okay. So anyway, uh, we we go to see this guy that uh, my qigong doctor has uh, turned me on to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his name is something like Tian Li Ying, and uh, we got to the village of, and you'd think that world place. Can you hear me? He was breaking up quite a bit. I asked the people in the uh, chat room if it was breaking up. So let's try. Okay, it. so Jim said uh, it's better now. It seems like it's yeah. It seems like it's better now. So it's it's I, annoying. I might that... want to explain to the uh, to the to the listeners at home 
that yes. to connect to blogtalkradio.com from China, I need to use a VPN because blog talk radio is blocked by the Great Firewall of China. So we're kind of breaking the law here to please this Christ. show. Well, you so, are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I oh, great sorry. risk to life and limb. I'm reaching Dude, out. If they to break the down the door America. and take you away, uh, this will be an episode <laughs> for the ages. Yeah, if you hear things breaking, you know what's happening. I'd like to hope. I'd so, like to think that 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 there's someone working for either the government or the Chinese government or the American government's listening. So, and I hope they're entertained. I hope they are too. All right, man, you there? Yeah. All right. We coming in loud and clear? I think so. Sorry about that, folks. I apologize for the uh, for the miscue. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what happened exactly. Honestly, I think uh, I, I think it was Carl's fault, but I haven't because uh, <laughs> I called the number. It you, may be. You, I called the number you sent me, dude, and uh, and I ended up getting some Chinese lady, and she was very upset. I, well, I recorded I, that. I reset my phone. I, I reset my phone. I turned it off and turned it back on. I wonder if that made a difference. This is why China is weird because nothing ever goes the way you expect it to. Yeah, dude, I'm looking at it now. You, <laughs> you I you, sent uh, you the wrong number. Yeah. You sent me the wrong number. That's <laughs> ah, shit. That's my fault then. Yeah. Wait All go. right. I yeah. apologize to everyone for the glitches then. Well, trying clearly to the uh, phone situation is my fault on your next appearance on a show. So yeah, that was, all right, mm. so we're Jesus Christ. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and edit all that out of the uh, thing, but uh, it's all good. Um, so okay, so where were we, dude? We lost like like 20 minutes here traffic. We were this. meeting uh, Tian Li Yang on Wudong Shan, and yeah. uh, he he met us for a lunch at the only good restaurant in town. I had given a little travel log, but I won't retrace it now because uh, we lost a few minutes there. So uh, what happened was while we were eating lunch, I noticed he was eating with us. And I had heard from my Qigong teacher as well as others that uh, advanced practitioners of alchemy, the, the real masters, are in a state of bigu, B-I-G-U doesn't require them to eat or drink. They can survive on air and chi. Okay. So he was eating and I asked him about that. I said, Hey, I noticed you're eating lunch with us. Aren't you a a bigu practitioner? And he said, I, I tried bigu for a month and I didn't eat or drink anything. Uh, he, He said all he did was drink water even tea, just plain water. And what he noticed during this month is he maintained his workouts and his training, his normal schedule. And he noticed that he was getting stronger and that his endurance was improving. And during workouts with his friends, they were unable to keep up with him. And when they, they wanted to quit because they were tired, he felt like, he kept uh, like he wanted to keep going, but he gave it up after a month. He said because he liked eating. Who doesn't? So I, I can't really prove that he was able to do that. Interesting. 
it relates to what I was going to tell you earlier about the vision quest, Mm -hmm. because when we were done with the sweat lodges and the medicine man was sending me out to the vision quest place, he says, I don't know exactly where it is, but here are the hints the spirits gave me and, you know, describe this location. He says, you'll know when you find it. He says, between now and then you can't eat. You have to fast until your vision quest is completed. And it took me 13 days to find that location, plus five days there not eating. So that's 18 days without eating. All I did was drink, and uh, uh, I, I didn't suffer for it. I mean, my friends and I, we were you know, having this cross-country adventure. We are doing the Grand Canyon, hiking in Sedona, you know, uh, the, the Redwood National Forest and all this stuff. And I, I never felt like I was uh, tired or weak from, from not eating. I kept up with those guys just fine. And then when uh, Vision Quest was over, I started eating again. Jesus. So there might be something to this Bigu thing, you know, and, and in which case I acquired it from an outside source, the medicine man who bestowed it to me. And Tian Li Yang would have achieved it himself through his Taoist alchemical practices. It would seem that way. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's try and do a a sort of like a fresh, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a a chapter. Yeah, we'll sort of skip chapters here. Okay. Let's try and get a fresh start on things after the uh, debacle there earlier. Tell me about the, the vampire zombies of China. Because, you know, as, as I'm sure some people, you know, uh, may not think the book is paranormal enough. But I think it's plenty paranormal, and it's certainly fucking weird, as we've seen so far tonight. So, uh, but, but, you know, for the folks who, who crave the paranormal, let's do, uh, let's do the Vampire Zombies of China. Because I don't think we talked about that uh, when you were on last time, from what I can recall. But uh, my memory's getting... Well, we, we, we did, I think. But uh, it's okay, because that's a... That's that's probably the most paranormal thing in the whole book. Oh, if I you remember ask it. Me, now, I think that's, yes. Now that you mention it, I do remember it. I'm sorry, but yeah. Tell so me, if you tell want me. to cover something else, we can. Well, let's put it this way. You know, there's you uh, know, there, there's fresh information. The you talked about on the show. So what kind of new stuff uh, that what, what did you uncover since you were on the show that made it? Well, the 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 Kanos Lake monster is new. We didn't cover that last time. Uh, there's there's new information on uh, the the Yadrin, I guess. Well, let's talk or, about or at least some perspective we didn't talk about last time. Yeah, yeah I don't think we did get enough into the Yadrin. So let's talk about that. Let's there's the uh, giant monkey of Wu Tong Shan we didn't talk about last time. All right, well let's do the Yadrin then, because you know I'm a big Bigfoot. Okay. Fan, so let's talk uh, let's talk about the Yadrin. What 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 have you? All right, well, you said this new perspective. So what's this new perspective? Well, uh, you know, there's uh, some introduction. I think that's important for me as a writer to get out there for for my point of view on that topic uh, of the Yay Run, and uh, that is the subject of cryptids in general. And uh, you may recall from the book that I, I had a pet peeve about that because. Uh, Cryptid, uh, that I-D suffix, cryptid, is kind of a pseudoscientific term that's kind of trying to legitimize the study of these mysterious creatures and 
in a way that is not only wrong, but also I think unnecessary because crap, I'm going to, you're going to hear my feedback on the radio. Okay. Turn it on. Um, Yeah, I did. Because cryptid implies that there is a family of animals called cryptidae. This is how taxonomy works in zoology. For example, the nymphalids are butterflies of the nymphalidae family. Cats are called felids because they're in the felidae family. Dogs are called canids because they're in the canidae family and so on, right? So this idea of cryptid implies that the Loch Ness Monster and the Yeren and Bigfoot and the Mothman and uh, Ogopogo and the Chupacabra, they're all related in some zoological family called cryptididae. And that's not true. You know, if these things are real, and, and many of them appear that they could very well be, Mm-hmm. then we can't classify them all together like that. I see what you're saying. You know, so you're saying it's, it's, like, it's like you're putting a fish with, a, with, a, with an ape here in the same category. Does it make sense? So you're kind of arguing? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I think suppose. to seriously study these things, you, you, you can't make that mistake. You can't do that. You can't say, oh, I study all uh, cryptidae. You know, you don't. You know, uh, a, a primatologist would be a good person to have involved with a study on the Yay Runner Bigfoot, but not a guy you want to bring to study the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Presumably, yeah. Presumably. Although, right? with, with cryptozoology, yeah. a lot of these folks do specialize, I mean, do kind of focus on all these different things, you know, but they're kind of forced to. But you're saying you need more of a taxonomy of cryptozoology. That's your... That's your. Uh, yeah, either you need a either you need a, a, a taxonomy or you need to abandon the idea of taxonomy and, 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 and approach it from a different angle. What angle would that be? Because walking around, you know, most of the people involved in cryptozoology don't know anything about zoology anyway. You know, uh, there are some people who do very good work. You know, Lauren Coleman is a guy who endeavors to be very rigorous in his uh, cryptozoology, but most of the people are just sort of uh, going about it in an amateurish, um, uh, half-assed sort of a fashion you know yeah. and they they invent this they invent this term to make it sound like they know what they're talking about yeah but we love them anyway we do i mean you know <laughs> obviously we're putting a lot of information out there and some entertaining television so i just wanted to say that so that i think if we're going to look at the yay run we need this new perspective Okay. Okay. Right. I like this. Okay. That, You're setting the it, table here. You're setting the table. Now we're getting the big moment, the momentum back here, Carl. So let's. Right. Let's right. And so yeah. and so. Uh, what I what I suggest is that okay, there's there's two ways to approach it. One is to get the proper sorts of biologists involved. Okay, people who know uh, primatology or anthropology. Because the the creature, if it's real, fits into one of those categories. Either it's some kind of a, another uh, species of hominid, which would be uh, human-like, two-leg walking uh, yeah. creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's some kind of a uh, other kind of a primate that walks on all fours, like a chimpanzee or a monkey. Right, right. All right. And, and, and there are monkeys in the area, 
the, yeah. the um, you mentioned a giant monkey, golden-haired. Uh, what, what's that? The giant monkey you mentioned earlier. Well, that, we'll get back to that. That's a different kind of monkey. I'll get. I, I can go into that one uh, in a little bit. Hmm. But so, so there there are monkeys in the area, and uh, you know, primatologists would be useful to figuring out if this thing, some kind of other kind of rare monkey, and that's one approach. And the Chinese have actually, you know, spent legitimate uh, government research dollars on uh, expeditions to try to locate the thing. Because there are good reports. I, there, during the Chinese Civil War, there was a couple of them that were shot and brought back to a village. Uh, but the corpses were lost in the chaos of the war, which is unfortunate because those would have been uh, if preserved, excellent sources of DNA, you know. But you have reports like that from modern times of actual Yeren being captured. Now I have a question or though, killed. for you. I, I read an article recently about a guy who's like been on in search of the Yeren for for ages. Uh, yeah, actually, he I mentioned him in the book. There's a photograph of him in the book actually. Is this the guy who talked about taking... this the question, though? Uh, sorry, I, I, that was a setup. I should have paused. <laughs> is, this the, <laughs> is this the guy we talked about before that you had talked to that had all kinds of information, but he didn't want it? Uh, he didn't want to... No, uh, no, 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 no. That guy uh, won't won't talk to me because he doesn't want his uh, the information in his books to get out to the public. Jesus. Have he you wrote read them for books? a very select audience. Have you been able to? What's that? Have you learned anything more about these books? Because I like secret shit. You know that. No, no, I haven't talked to that woman. Uh, I guess if she had been a slightly more helpful or open, I would have felt like that was useful. Mm. But this is the other angle now that we didn't talk about last time. All right, so you have this biological angle that is that that is highly valued, especially by Western researchers. Uh, in, into Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But here's the other angle, and uh, this relates back again uh, to uh, the, the medicine man that I spoke to before my vision quest, because when you bring up the fact that Bigfoot has been known to the natives of North America for thousands of years, it's in their myths and their legends, and that they've known about this thing for a long time. It's not just something that started happening in 1950s when a guy laid down fake footprints, which is what a lot of the professional skeptics like to say. Right, right. So then they'll say, well, those, you know, Indian legends, they're just legends. They're superstitions. But what I say is that these are not just legends and superstitions. The, the Indians of North America, whether you're looking at the, the, the Northeast woodland cultures or the Pacific Northwest or the desert Southwest, those people lived in unforgiving environments. Are you outside now? So they were at the edge of – what's that? Are you outside now? I thought I heard a bird tweeting. Actually, I came outside because that's the clock tweeting. Oh. All yeah. Right. I came outside to get away from it. I was going to say such vigorous birds. So, yeah. Anyway, so these, so these Indians, they lived in unforgiving environments, and yet they had thriving cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, people were not living a life 
or living their lives based on myths and superstitions. They couldn't have had. They, they, they'd have died. They'd have perished in the wilderness. Instead, they had thriving cultures, which means they were, above all, scientists, and nature was their laboratory. They had to know the pharmacology of the plants that grew around them to take care of themselves when they were sick. Interesting. They had to have some knowledge of geology, so they knew which stones to use for which tools and where to find them. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. That's deep. Jesus, man, you're taking me yeah. down a rabbit hole here. But yeah, that's true. See, yeah, and they, they had, had to be you know, zoologists. Yeah, they just didn't write all that shit down. Maybe they did. I don't know. But they talked. To, you know, they they certainly had knowledge that they shared with each other and stuff. Uh, that, that yeah, exactly. And it was all done now. orally. Now, and, yeah. and they used different language than the scientists who write in Nature or the New England Journal of Medicine. Obviously, yeah. You know, maybe they didn't call it pneumonia. They had a different word for it. And for the pharmacology, they had a different way of expressing it, but they still knew it. Hmm. So what's the right? tie this in with the urine? Are you suggesting that it's like a more of a okay. mystical creature? Are we talking like, like a like a like a skinwalkery esque you know, entity? Yeah, well you're on the right track. And right. so when the natives talk about Bigfoot, they talk about him as kind of an ethereal being, right? Who travels in and out of this world. And I think with their intimate knowledge of the environment around them, they must have had some concrete knowledge of that. Mm. They wouldn't just make it up. And what's interesting is that the Taoism that prevails in that region of China where the Yeran is most common evolved out of a shamanism that was very similar to the shamanism we find in North America. I think that maybe the best approach, or one that certainly needs to be explored, is a return to that early Taoism or shamanism to locate and identify and describe the Yadren. So what do the so you're saying that then um you're saying that these that they have legends that it's more of a mystical creature over there as well? Yes. Interesting. And 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 in fact one of the poems used to describe the Yadren, a very ancient poem uh from I think fourth or fifth century BC is called song of the mountain spirit. So they're referring to it as a mountain spirit. And I think it's described as, I think they use the term Xing Xing Fu Fu, which means it literally translates as ape, ape, woman, woman, but this doubling of the word is usually a way of making something sound endearing. Interesting. So, yeah, so this notion of like a female-like, human-like spirit living in the mountains. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and so I, and I go into more detail on that in the book. So and the actual verse is cited in Chinese, and I think I say that this is really hard for me to translate, but it's there. And uh, I don't know that anyone in the region really is using those traditional techniques like the Indians are still using in North America to communicate with these ethereal creatures. But remember in the, you know, remote past, 
people from Asia migrated into North America. And I think there's a common cultural memory and a very ancient sort of shamanism that so. is yeah, common. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think in the so. roots of those cultures. Mm-hmm. And the Bigfoot's in there, possibly, or the yeah. Aran or whatever. And the Aran. And yeah. the Aran. It's interesting. So this dude who's trying to get the Bigfoot or the Aran, uh, the Aran, uh, I guess I'm, I'm just interested sort of like, I'm going to backpedal on that just thought because uh, what I'm interested in is sort of the cultural feeling over there about some of these things. Because I know we talked about, and I've seen it uh, as a follower of the news, paranormal news, it's like ghosts are really popular over there and uh, with the social media and everything and sort of like crazy videos and stuff like that. Um but what about the what about the the Yaren? It's like because here you know Bigfoot's almost like a pop culture icon. Over there, what do people even think about the, if they even think at all about this uh, this creature? Well, I often poll my students about topics like that, and more of them believe that UFOs are possibly real than the Yaren. They think the Yaren is just kind of a amusing and um, humorous sort of uh, legend. Every once in a while you meet someone who comes from a village who's come to the big city for for work and living, and that person might give it more credence, but uh, it it doesn't have the pop cultural status that that Bigfoot has. The more ancient... Uh, uh, more religious legend creatures have more pop cultural status here, like the Monkey King or the the other characters from that legend. There's a hybrid pig-human god I speak of in the book that has pop cultural status. Uh, and those things, uh, also the, uh, the Eight Immortals, The eight immortals are eight early Taoist uh, masters that are considered to have achieved immortality. And they have huge uh, pop cultural uh, status. There are a lot of movies. Everyone knows them. The stories are vivid in their minds. They, They choose the best and uh, best and best looking actors and actresses to play them in movies and so forth. And he's like, is he, are they're kind of. This is like I'm going to butcher. Is it the Chinese version of the Greek gods almost? It's kind of what. It's yeah, like. exactly. Wait, interesting. Exactly. There, exactly. What, what and makes, and what, what makes them so interesting? Like, what's their? I it, I'm just wondering, sort of like, what makes them stand out amongst all that that whole history. That's a good question. Uh, one, one thing I would point out is that uh, all of them started their careers as regular humans, so it makes them more accessible. Interesting. So it's like a, almost like a, super, like a, like a superhero-y type of uh, Yeah, exactly. Thing. And uh, the, the thing is, well, that, that, that's exactly true. If you go to see a movie, the superheroes are going to be these kinds of characters, and it's going to have a very traditional – Chinese sort of presentation, which is uh, it, it's more yin, you can say, or or let's say softer 
more elegant in its presentation, which is in contrast to the Marvel uh, superheroes, which come off as uh, more masculine and more young. Yeah. However, the Marvel superheroes seem to be catching up pretty quickly to the uh, to, to the local immortals. I asked Tian Li Yang on Wudong Mountain specifically about this. Yeah, I wanted okay. to ask you about this, actually. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that excited me a lot about this idea of, like, people living to be hundreds of years old and shit. So that's No, but it's cool how this stuff all flows together and connects, you know? Exactly. That's, what, that's, where, you're, uh, that's where you're headed. And yeah. I got excited because I was like, oh, I remember that. I read the book a while ago, folks, because I was supposed to write Carl's thing, like, <laughs> like months ago. So. <laughs> I read most of it like a while ago, so things pop into my head. Well, I sent you a link to the final version. It has the the reworked uh, illustrations in it, and it's a much better visual presentation. Yeah, I was now. looking at it tonight to uh, sort of refresh my memory, but I didn't get a chance to like re. John wanted to make the the, the ghost uh, portion pictures uh, creepier. I think he did a good job of it. Nice. I'll check. I'll check for that. Um, so yeah, this this idea of immortality or incredibly long living. Yeah people and stuff like that. Right. So one of the things I'm learning from, from my Qigong teacher and Nadan Gong teacher back in the States, by the way, he's an excellent teacher. If you have a chance to study with him, Michael Wynn, I suggest you look him up. He's, if you're on the East Coast, it'll be a lot easier. Uh, but he, one of the things he teaches as part of his uh, curriculum in Qigong or part of the whole body of knowledge and practice is immortality. And there are two kinds of immortality that are taught. One is a spiritual immortality, and that can either be conscious or unconscious. And the other is physical immortality. Yeah. Like where you actually life, bring yeah. your physical body transformed into this immortal state, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I asked Tian Li Young about this, uh, particularly the physical immortality. Because in the West, we have all kinds of legends of these practices from the East, not only China, but also Tibet, especially, and and India, right? And he basically said, he came right out and said it. He said, immortality is bullshit. And the word in Chinese he used was go pee, which means dog fart. But they use it like we use bullshit. So the way you would translated in this context is immortality is bullshit. Right, right. Okay. And uh, I was like surprised when I heard him say that. He said, there's no such thing as immortality. The only thing you can have is extreme longevity. And the oldest living Taoist that I know is Lu Dongbin, and he's only 800 years old, and that is hardly immortal. So now you go from him saying that, like, immortality is bullshit to him telling you that he knows a guy who's 800 years old, right? Exactly. And you think, wow, this is incredible. Right. You know? So uh, I guess, you know, and and I don't – I didn't ask him at the time, but upon reflection, I think he wanted me to leave reflecting on a lot of things when we finished the conversation – Reflecting on that, if you think of the grand scheme of things, the, the, the universe and its age and the infinite scale of time, it's true that 800 years is hardly immortal. 
and you're never going to catch up with the universe. So he, did you talk to him more about this though? Because to me, that, I would end up like having like a million questions, which I do now. I'm going to try and see if you asked any. Like, <laughs> what is, he says the way it comes across in the book is he's very nonchalant about it. So it's like, uh, clearly he is. He's, he's, he's extremely nonchalant. I'm just wondering, you know, like, I mean, how, for a Dallas how, master to, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I mean, for a Dallas master to, to, to cuss in the midst of an explanation, he must be speaking very casually and nonchalantly about something that to him uh, is ordinary. Yeah. You know? Well, where are these super old? Uh, are they like tucked away, hidden in like temples and shit? If they exist? Well, apparently they, they wander a lot. They don't stay in one place and they go around uh, serving humanity, if you will, in, in various functions to be under disguise. And they might do it by uh, helping key individuals at key moments in their lives or serving some uh, larger functional role in society. But they don't present themselves as who they are unless there's some very compelling reason to do so. For example, if you become so advanced in the Taoist practices that you can't learn anything else from your current teacher or you're stymied to advance, one of these people or uh, immortals might appear and reveal themselves to you and, and take you take you further along. So how do you mean reveal themselves? So they can like make themselves appear different? I guess if you're immortal, you probably have other powers, right? Is that kind of the idea here? Yeah, right. And I guess they they might say uh, this is how I you know you can know who I'm who I am. Uh, this is how you know I'm Lu Dongbin or something. Weird. But I actually met a guy who I think has outlived Lu Dongbin. He's got to be a thousand years old at least. That was a uh, Lao Shou Xing. Well, let's talk about this guy. How do you think? You, you really think he's uh, yeah, Lao Shou Xing is—he's is, he, got to be at least a thousand years old. If you go by the ancient stories, some make him a thousand years old; others would put him at two thousand years old. And you met him. Uh, but he, he's also called the god of immortality and longevity. There's—you uh, know—if any of your listeners have uh, ever been to a Chinese restaurant, which I'm sure everybody has, a lot of times you see these posters or figurines of three characters together. Sometimes it might have one character and one of them's got a big bulbous forehead and a big walking stick. Sometimes he's holding a peach, long white beard, cute, smiley, childlike little fellow. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, the there there there's two main storylines about him and one goes back about 2000 years and one goes back about 1000 years but the general idea is that the south pole star uh called uh nanjing uh nanji xing okay south pole nanji is south pole xing is star uh represented a certain God and that God wanted to come to life in human form. 
and impregnated this young woman and gestated, was supposed to gestate for 10 years inside her womb. But after the ninth year, she was getting tired of it, and the village elders tricked it into being born. And that's why he's bald and has long white hair, because he didn't fully gestate. Well, this is the guy. Uh, because of his uh, uh, celestial parentage, he was always called to you know, meditate and work on his alchemy and stuff like this. And when he was still a young boy, he wandered off. He told his parents, I'm wandering off into the wilderness and I'll be back. And he disappeared for a thousand years. And when he came back to his village, it was a completely different place. He was an old man. He had the long white beard. He was walking with a stick. And, you know, some people say he needed the staff for hiking in the mountains or he needed the staff he was old, but I think the staff is actually symbolic of uh, having developed the uh, alchemical channels, the Runmo, the Daimo, and the Dongmo. You know, in um, Western alchemy, you see the same thing. You see a hermit walking with a staff, and that staff symbolizes the spine or the Kundalini channel, or, you know, it's called different things. I think with Lao Shoshing, that staff symbolizes something very similar in Dallas alchemy. And the peach that he carries is, is not a snack for when he's walking. That is one of the golden peaches of immortality that ripen every 3,000 years. When we see this in the Greek myths as well with the golden apple. So this, uh, the theme is, is not only repeated but speaks to something, uh, some cosmic mystery. And when we see revered personages uh, uh, sporting uh, these symbols, it's trying to tell us something about them. So this guy Lao Shoshing had achieved immortality, which is not really immortality according to Tian Liang, but extreme longevity. Well, he comes back to his village uh, uh, he's a very curious little fellow. The emperor becomes interested, and it's it's a real life emperor. I think it's uh, Run uh, Jun Ron Fong. Uh, it, it, you, you can see in the book he's a real emperor, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was in the Song Dynasty. And he summons the little old man to his court, right? Yeah. The uh, Lao Shoshing comes, visits the emperor, and the emperor wants to ask him something. And the guy says, before I talk to you, let me drink some wine. And he drinks like seven bottles of wine and eats seven cakes or seven dates. I mean, actually, they're not dates, they're jujubes. It's always mistranslated, and I have a spiel about that in the book. They're actually jujubes, J-U-J-U-B-E, just like the candy. Right, we okay? talked about that last time, yeah. Right. So he eats uh, the seven jujubes, drinks the seven bottles of wine, and then disappears. And the emperor is a little annoyed with him, but he's a kind man and doesn't do anything about it. Yeah. Then uh, this wise man, one of the court sages, comes running into the throne room. And my God, I just saw the South Pole star in this position. And uh, it seems like that... Uh, 
it descended upon your throne and the God of immortality is wants to bless you or something. And the emperor realizes, Oh my God, that was him. I just had him in here. We have to bring him back so I can ask him the secret of the elixir of long life. And they sends out all his troops to look for this guy and they can't find him. A traveler, uh, comes into the court and says, I saw that guy. While I was on my way here, I saw him walking on the road and he turned the corner in front of me. And when I turned to see who he was, I saw him ascending into heaven on a cloud. What? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. Right. So yeah. the emperor missed his chance. But in fact, that emperor had the longest reign and the longest life of any emperor in his line. So it could be that he was Lao Shou Xing had some effect that brushed off on him. Oh, good. See things no one else can see. Do things no one else can do. Real things. As real as Lopin. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? Oh, the six demon bag. Terrific. A six demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Wind, fire, all that kind of thing. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Ah. Now, did you say you met him? I want to go back. I thought you said you met him, though. Is that what you said? Yeah. So... This is what happened, okay? Occasionally, Lao Shoshing, for whatever reason he has in mind, will come to Earth and visit people for whatever reason, okay? I can't claim to know how immortals think, but periodically, like we said earlier, uh, they show up when they feel a need to, right? Well, I'm in China for the first time this 2002 trip with uh, my teacher and some other guys, uh, other students. And we're in Chengdu. And uh, Chengdu is a very interesting place. There's another story in the book that is centered around that city also. But we're there, and after we check into the hotel, one of our first stops is this vegetarian restaurant at a famous Buddhist temple. Uh, I don't know that it's so famous with foreign travelers, but... Here in China, it's quite famous, and they, they get a lot of visitors from around the country. Uh, so I'm not real big on vegetarian cuisine, but, you know, what the heck, we're all here for a cultural experience. So we go to the temple, and uh, we walk in there. It's kind of, it's really a, kind of a, a beautiful setting around the restaurant. It's uh, garden-like. It reminds me of this place I used to go to as a kid called... Peter Pan uh, out in the countryside of Maryland. And uh, I like it for this reason. So uh, we stand around, we're looking at the place, reading the signs and so forth. And uh, my, one of my best friends, Rob is with me. And my mom also is on that trip. I don't think she was outside with me uh, at this moment, but Rob and I were out there. We stuck together a lot during the trip. Incidentally, he was with me on that vision quest in 1999 also. So he and I have shared some of the uh, more incredible adventures uh, of our lives together. Mm-hmm. Well, Rob and I walk into the restaurant and we spot our table. Our tour guide is standing to the left of us near the 
uh, front counter where you pay the bill and everything. And uh, we, we turned to say something to her, I think, and we were going to walk towards the table. And suddenly the whole atmosphere of the restaurant changes. It becomes kind of ethereal and dreamlike and moves at a different speed. And we look towards, uh, towards the back of the restaurant and kind of stepping into this world from no place in particular is this Lao Shoshin character. And Rob and I look at each other like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, and this guy, well, what's yeah. that? I said, I'm feeling the yeah. same way. I'm on the edge of my seat. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's the most bizarre thing. I mean, it's, you know, occasionally people have experiences like this where kind of environments change around them. And then we were, this was sick with that, okay? And this guy just kind of starts, kind of walks into the restaurant out of nowhere and comes towards Rob and I. And he's got this childlike, gigglish manner about him. He never speaks. Uh, when he feels amused, he lets out this kind of high-peached squeal, like, ah! I can't do it. My voice is too deep to match his. I know, a guy ah! named, I know a guy named Steve Ray that this sounds just like. Kind of cherubic. Kind really? Of cherubic, kind of cherubic with a giggle. Yeah, that's Steve Ray. Yeah, yeah, and he looks exactly like this Lao Shoshin character. I mean, he's got the old-style clothes on. But instead of, like, the staff and the peach, he's got this really ancient, uh, very long tobacco pipe. They were made out of wood and brass, I guess, right? So he just walks past you guys. And you don't – was there anything no, else? No, no, no. He walks up to us, oh. and then he, like, shakes our hands. He greets us. Whoa. And, uh, and uh, he, he kind of walks us <laughs> over to our table. And sits down with us and wants, wants his picture taken. He wants his picture to be taken with us. And he, he, he's not like asking for any money. Usually these, you know, they, 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 they hire these actors and they want five or ten yuan to take a photo. Well, this guy doesn't. He walks us over to the table and then he pulls these two laminated photos out of his robe. He's got no pockets in there. These things are like come out of nowhere, he pulls out these two big laminated photos of groups of people. I don't know who these groups are. He wants me to hold one, and he wants to hold one while they take the picture. Yeah, I'm And he's laughing about this the whole time, as if there's some elaborate joke he's playing on us, right? He's, he's laughing. He's laughing. He's laughing, right. Yeah, I'm looking at well, the Well, I picture. mean, we're laughing, too, at this point, because we don't know what the fuck is going on, yeah, and you've yeah. got this funny little man with us. <laughs> Folks, I will say this. If you're listening to this now and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? The, <laughs> the picture is in the book. The picture's in the book. I'm looking at it now. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. So go on now. He's, so he hands you these other pictures, and, and go on. That's what Right. We're Insist, insist that I hold one while I don't, I, I don't even remember who took that photo now. It, it might have been the, the tour guide, Lee Shao, because she's not in the photo. Uh, I know it was not my mom and it was not Rob because they're in the photo also, right? And 
uh, what was I going to say? I don't remember who took the picture. Anyway, somehow I got a copy of it. I guess because it was taken with a one-step. That's right. It was a Polaroid one-step camera, and that's why I have a copy of it. But the guy kind of kibitzed around a little bit and started walking out the building, and these two or three other ladies who were on the trip followed him out. And uh, 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 he joked around with them with the cameras, took a picture of them taking a picture, would hold the camera up and then laugh and put the camera down. And then the ladies uh, came back and Rob and I said, uh, where's that guy? And they said, oh, we left him outside. Well, we ran outside and the guy was gone and we said, well, where'd you leave him? And they said, right there by that sign. He was nowhere. There was, and, and there was the, the configuration of the place was not that he could have walked out of view yeah. within the 15 or 20 seconds that, that, that transpired. Right. Mm-hmm. And he basically, he had just disappeared. And, and Rob and I looked at each other and we kind of nodded because we had seen people disappear before. And we knew this must have been one of those times. Well, what now? I mean, I mean we, he, he, he and I personally had disappeared in front of people before. Jesus Christ. So, We're getting into uh, we knew that it was possible. <laughs> What's that? I said, Jesus Christ, we're getting into William Zabel territory here, man. I got to pick my job off the floor. So wait a minute. You, <laughs> I don't even want to know yet about the time you disappeared, but what do you mean you've seen people disappear before? Uh, we were uh, studying at a tracker school, and uh, it's a uh, school where they teach a lot of very interesting things. Uh, the mundane part of it is like tracking and awareness wilderness schools, but they push you beyond that into the realm of uh, Apache scout skills, which are similar to these Dallas things we're talking about today. I feel bad now about the little man. Is there anything more to the little man story? I mean, what do you think that meant? Yeah, well, we asked around. I mean, through, through, through our guide, Lee Shao, we asked around, you know, who is this guy? But what we noticed also is that the people who worked in the restaurant were as amazed to see him as we were. I mean, they were like you just now. They're, when this guy appeared, their, their, draws, their jaws, uh, their drawers hit the floor. That would be nice. Their jaws, <laughs> were, you know, were, were, were agape at this guy. They all stopped working. Waitresses carrying trays of food kind of stopped and turned their heads to follow him. It's like nobody knew who he was. No one had seen him before. He was not some actor that this restaurant hires for the tourists. Well, yeah, I mean, you didn't, you didn't give him any money or anything, did you? No, no he did. He, nobody gave him any money, and he never asked for any. So he was just hanging around in the restaurant, ostensibly. You know what I'm saying? So the person who's like... Well, see, that's, but see, but see, well, that's what, you know, the skeptics would say. Right, right. Some old man hanging out in the restaurant. But Rob and I clearly saw that he into the restaurant from out of nowhere. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I tend to side with you on this one. It seems like some kind of mystical encounter. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not claiming to be able to explain it. I'm just saying <laughs> that that's what happened. You, you know, don't, but you don't know if it's really that that uh, that ancient god, though. It could be just some other kind of sort of uh, mystical type, uh, you know, entity. It, it, it's true. It could be, but he is a spitting image for that Lao Shoshin character. All right. It's quite the picture, folks. That's a teaser enough to buy the book. Uh, you see the picture of this little guy, and uh, it's remarkable. It's really interesting. It's re- he looks. <laughs> yeah. He, he looks uh, well, awesome. Especially with the, the whole. That, that's the best photo evidence of uh, any of the stories in the book that I have. Hey, man, most paranormal people don't have any photo evidence. So if someone it, like, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, people. People hearing the story as it's going along, you know, they might start to call bullshit, but it culminates with this picture. So it's like, well, there's the picture. I mean, he did, he did encounter some strange little man. I mean, unless the, you know, that the encounter happened. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's crazy. Did you feel any different afterwards? Have you felt like did, did anything? Was there any sort of ever any after effect from that experience, or you think, uh, you know? Is it just something that stayed with you for a long time? Uh, yeah, I think the nature of the trip kind of changed after that, or at least our our uh, personal approaches to it. You know, uh, we were a little more awake. We were we were looking for for more to to get out of the trip. Uh, I think it, our experiences were deeper. Uh, two of the people who were on that trip ended up moving to China and marrying Chinese girls. Really? So there was one guy from Australia. He he married Li Xiao. They they uh, have like two kids together now. And I moved here, became a teacher, and, and I'm married now also. Well, that's maybe that's to a Chinese girl. Yeah, and I don't I mean, think I mean, either of us expected to do that. What's yeah, that? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, now that you put it in that way, yeah. I mean, you guys ended up like like moving to China, so maybe that was yeah. the after effect. You know, it's uh, that could be. You know, so it's weird. It's interesting. It's really. Uh, I've also had maintained an incredibly. Did you not know how to talk to? Did you not be able to speak Chinese? Was he, was it all like? Like a uh, hand? The guy never said a word in English or Chinese. Interesting. And I didn't see him try to talk to any Chinese people. The only thing I heard come out of his mouth was this childlike, uh, high-pitched, uh, gleeful squeal. Yeah, like a Steve Ray-esque giggle. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Very remarkable. Yeah. I forget how we, oh, yeah, the people who are immortal and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so, but that guy, he's got, if the stories are true, he's got to be at least a 1,000 years old, 2,000 if the other story is true mm. about him. Now, uh, I, 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 part of me wants to ask about this lake monster, but I also want to know about these times you, uh, I want to get back to the disappearing part, so I'm at a real crossroads, but let's, uh <laughs> Let's let's do um, let's do let's let's finish on this disappearing thing in a sense because I'm intrigued by that. Okay, uh, so you're in some well, kind that's of true because you know people can people can get the lake monster story out of the book, but the yeah, disappearing thing they can't. We can go like an extra half hour because of the. We'll have to go like another twenty minutes anyway because of the because uh, of the okay. crazy downtime. Okay, as long as you get time, you get okay. time. 
I'm good for time. I got an engagement uh, this evening, but I, I shouldn't have any trouble at all making it. Nice. Um, well, yeah, so uh, the disappearing. So we were at this uh, place called the Tracker School. It's easy to look up online, trackerschool.com, all right? And the mundane part of what is taught there are the tracking and awareness skills in the wilderness survival. Uh, you know, the the uh, basis of everything being if you walked into the woods naked, would you be able to survive or even thrive? And they teach you the plants and the flint napping and the, the fire making skills and everything. You can survive completely like, you know, say a, a Neolithic uh, American Indian would have, you know, you don't need any metal. You don't need any plastic. You can go into the forest and make everything, even a house, you know? Yeah. But he takes those skills further and he delves into the shamanism and spirituality of the, uh, lip and Apache who taught him. Okay. And they had a society among them, uh, called, Scouts, I guess is how it's translated. I don't know the original Indian word for it. In English, they would be called scouts, and they were taught all kinds of special things. Well, one day, he was teaching us to go invisible. Okay? Yeah. And it had to do with putting yourself into an alpha state, referring to the brain waves, right? It's kind of a meditative, very relaxed state. And then sort of blending your aura with something next to you. Like a chameleon. All right. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, like a chameleon. Kind of like you feel your own aura, you get the aura of the thing next to you, and then you put them together. Right, like a chameleon. Okay. Like a chameleon. Yeah, yeah, right. At the time, I couldn't do it. But I, I I remember being frustrated, and I was watching this guy on my scout team uh, do the practice. He was from, uh, from Germany and he's leaning against a tree, very relaxed, like a guy without a care in the world. Maybe, you know, like, yeah, maybe he was just hanging out there waiting for somebody or looking at something interesting. He's leaning, leaning against this tree, his arms are crossed on his chest. And then all of a sudden I couldn't see him. Holy cow. And, and I kind of shook my head and, uh, I looked again, and then he kind of faded back into view. Who is this guy? I'm sorry. I think I, I'm afraid you might have mentioned. I've, I've never seen him since uh, since this uh, one week at tracker school. He was from Germany. Uh, yeah. I think his name was Jurgen, and we just ended up on the same scout team, so we're practicing this skill in the same oh, you know so section of like the camp. He was like an instructor. He was a member of the team. Or like he was a fellow yeah. camper, for lack of a better term? Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, I think he might have been the only guy who did it successfully that day. Well, shit, he can turn invisible. I should hope he could do the the rest of it. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, the teacher there, his name is Tom Brown. Uh, I, I saw him go invisible, too. Uh, I saw him shapeshift right before my very eyes. I mean, it was that was fucking amazing and mind-blowing, man. You know, it's like when someone brings you some incredible news nowadays or wants to tell you something shocking, you think, yeah, well, I saw a guy shapeshift in front of my eyes, so this well, better he, be good. What did he shapeshift into? 
All right. Well, first, let me let me tell you the disappearing act first. Okay. Now, we were, I'm gonna, I, I was there as like else, though, Carl. I'm gonna let's let's make it official here now. You've got to write another fucking book with these stories in them because I. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I might get around. Actually, if I can weave some of this stuff into the book I'm writing now, I think uh, that would be pretty cool. That's what the goal is, anyway. Nice. All right. So, he, but what did he shapeshifted? Let, let's not get sidetracked on no. that. Where I, I was there as like what's called a helper or assistant instructor, all right? And uh, I, I think it was in uh, 2000 or 2001, probably February 2001, I think. Uh, we have the students out in the bush doing an exercise, and we're in the center of this camp. And it's a giant circle cleared in the Pine Barrens that's about uh, – I don't know, 40 or 50 feet across. This is a new all right? Jersey, right? Yeah, there's no brush. It's just uh, sand, and they, they left a, a few pine trees standing, but it was like uh, the original camp they used back in the day when he was first learning this stuff. And uh, Tom, the, you know, the guy who runs the school, is walking in a very measured pace around the uh, circle outside the fire pit, all right? And one of his first students and I are standing right next to the fire talking about South Park, all right? This other guy named is John Young. He's got a couple of books out too. Uh, and we're talking about South Park, having a good laugh. And Tom is walking, very measured pace, short steps, never changes, in a circle around us some feet away, maybe not, not close enough. You could reach out and touch him, but I would say, say like within eight, eight or nine feet. Right. Okay. So he's slowly and he's around got his, your, your little crew. Right. And he's, and, and, and like all he's got the Marlboro. Okay. With his head bent down mm-hmm. and he held the Marlboro between two fingers and I'm watching him very carefully. Now, we're talking about we're in the middle of this circle that's 40 or 50 feet in diameter. So you're talking about 20-foot radius, right? Mm -hmm. And Tom is like within, you know, a few feet of us. So I'm watching him as he goes around the circle. And you know exactly where he's going to be because the pace doesn't change. And John and I were both watching him, right? And then he comes around, and he's going to be behind us in a second. So I turn around to see him. And he's not there. And I look all around the circle from, you know, he's nowhere. He's gone. There's no way he could get to the brush line, you know. And if he was in the brush line, you would see the bushes moving. Okay. Right. right? I mean, this happened in less than a second. Okay. And then then John looks. I'm hanging on the edge of my seat. What's that? No, go on. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. Go on. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then, so then John looks at me and like shrugs his shoulders. Like he doesn't know. Although I wouldn't be surprised if John did know because he studied Tom for many years. Okay. But he's, he's telling me, I, I don't know where he's at. And I'm looking around, uh, you know, and I'm, and I can't see him. And then I come around to the circle opposite of me. And there's Tom walking in exactly the same measured pace as when I saw him the last time he'd gone like halfway around the circle in that time 
without me, without anybody seeing him. Weird. So he didn't shapeshift. He transported. Yeah, uh, well, he didn't really transport, but uh, this was, uh, well, I think it was called the Philosophy 4 class, and we were studying what are called the powers of journey, all right? And Tom, I don't know, he's about here. Yeah. Oh, I have. Uh, Well, I love this stuff. So it's called the powers of journey, and it starts out, or the first or second stop is this pine tree. Uh, Now, Tom is about... 6'3 or 6'4 and I'm like 6' even and we start out by this pine tree and uh, he's he's addressing the group of us right and he walks up to this pine tree and something doesn't look right and I I can't figure out what it is the pine tree is like exactly the same height as me but Tom is shorter than the pine tree and he's standing right next to it and he looks like a little kid but he still looks like himself. And I can't, I, I know something looks wrong and I, I, I can't put my finger on what it is. Like there's, there's something fucked up going on here. What is this? Like, I can't, there's something wrong with this picture and I can't tell what it is. Right. And then he says, all right, on to the next stop. And we go like a couple of more stops and we come to this other uh, pine tree with a zigzag in the trunk. Okay, the trunk goes straight up, and then it makes like this bend to the left, bend to the right, and then goes straight up again. It's a very unique shape for a tree trunk, right? And uh, Tom and I'm, I'm looking. You have to look up to see this notch in the tree, this, this in the in the in the trunk. It's maybe seven feet above the ground, right? Yeah. And seven or eight feet. And uh, Tom walks up to that and he starts addressing us through that bend in the bark, like he had to frame his face, right? Yeah. And he says, class, this is Qualatuca. And he's introducing the tree. That tree has a name. It's Qualatuca, right? What the and he's fuck looking at us what? through that. His feet are touching the <laughs> ground. His face is, is coming right through that thing. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here, right? And I still can't put my, like, there's something wrong with it. There's something not right that I'm looking at here, right? And then we did this whole thing again. And then later on at the end of the trip, he, like, had shrunk again into an old man. Jesus Christ. And you're looking at it again, and you're like, I know that's Tom, and I know he's talking to me. But... uh, but but it's like he's he's a shrunken, shriveled old man. No, that can't be, right? These, these sound like acid trips, dude. This is crazy. I don't no, know what to make No, I was completely sober for the whole thing, dude. I'm, I swear to God, I was completely sober. Oh, and, my God. Uh, Hold, let me, let's, let's, let's pause on that note, because uh, I want to get to, do you know anything about this thing called coup? It's like burying thousands of... How do you of, spell it? K-O-O. Like a ritual where you That's right. This is supposed to be Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Some, some uh, Steve Ray in the chat room was asking about it, but uh, Steve, put more information on there if you can. Yeah, I'm standing out on the balcony right now, so I. Sorry, I'm not with that. Don't worry about it. Uh, let's see. This is fantastic. Agreed. Uh, I don't see the part about coup. 
No, no, no. He'll put it in later. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, okay. We'll have him write some notes in here, and we can figure it out. Steve, tell us what the coup is again. So, Jesus. So you're. So when was this? Was all before you moved to China, right? This the the training courses. Uh, after shortly after I'm, tracker school, I'm on my, my last training course up there was like 2001, and uh, I moved here in early February 2003. So, I mean, we're doing this show almost on my 14th anniversary here. Wow. Now, Steve says uh, it's also pronounced goo. He says the sign is bug, 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 and then a clay jar. And it's jar under earth. And it's uh, spelled K-O-U. I need that ring a bell. I mean, I do not see this in the chat room. Goo, goo, gajube. Oh, that's someone else fucking around. Uh, jar under. Uh, sorry, the last thing I see on the in the chat room is you can spend nine hundred dollars and experience it for yourself. That's the last line I see in the chat room. It should come up in a minute, then. You're on a delay. Okay. You're in China, for God's sakes. What's it like over there? Oh, okay, yeah. What's what's? So I don't want to go. Uh, I'm sorry. What were you talking so about? what I was going to say is uh, I want to I want to close with this last bit because since we talk about the shape shifting I I should really add this. Um, uh, I had you know made kind of acquaintances with Tom. I wouldn't say we were friends, but we knew each other and and would chat sometimes and joke back and forth. And I uh, there's something they teach that are called concentric rings which is the language of the forest the way the birds and animals are moving and the noises that they're making tell you what's going on everywhere in the forest baseline would mean that everything is normal there's no danger when something disrupts that baseline like a predator or a hunter or noisy humans right Mm -hmm. the the animals will change their behavior and that will travel through the forest like concentric rings so that even if you're pretty far from the disturbance if you knew how to read that behavior read those behavioral rings correctly uh you'll um you'll know what's going on okay Mm -hmm. for example i can tell if someone's coming two minutes before they get to me because of what the birds are doing. Granted, two minutes is not great, but there are people who can do that many hours in advance. I see right? what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking to Tom one day about concentric rings, and he said, uh, well, if you learn the concentric rings – that are caused by all the animals, couldn't you then, I'll do it in my Tom Brown voice, couldn't you then reproduce their concentric rings? Thus, if you understood the concentric rings of a fox, you could, wouldn't you be therefore be perceived as a fox? Thus, you stand at the threshold of shape-shifting. Interesting. And that was how he explained it. 
I, I don't know who else he said that to. I, that was a private chat he and I had. But then I thought, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to learn the concentric rings that well that I could appear to be a fox. Yeah. Interesting. Well, all we have here on the... Oh, well, uh, well now, ko, ko is the real Chinese word, K-O-U. But the problem is without the Chinese character, it would be very hard to know what the meat what means the most neat common meaning of ko would be mouse or port. Well, I guess the idea is that like uh, you bury th- a thousand bugs underground for like a year or something like that. Have you heard anything about this like ritual or legend or anything? Uh, no, but okay. uh, I know a thousand year eggs, which are cooked eggs you bury under the earth till they'll rotten and then you eat them. And I know about bug shit tea where you have a bunch of tea leaves and you let these bugs eat it and then you make tea from the shit instead of the leaves. That's considered medicinal. Is it good? What's that? Have you tried it? No. uh, Somebody bought it for me once. I was always afraid to try it. Oh, come on, man. You got to try it. I'll try a lot of things, man, but, uh, you know, let it never be said that... uh, Carl Joseph DeMarco eats shit. Even bug shit, huh? Now, I hate to ask this. I hate <laughs> I, to ask this, but there's a dark side of me that must. Have you? Now, the big thing everyone hates about China over here is that they eat dogs in China. Did you? Have you ever eaten a dog? Tell the truth. Uh, that was my first dinner uh, when I got to Guangxi. They, they served me dog. Oh, and it, it tastes like wild boar. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it was. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't eat dog uh, unless it's un, un, unknowingly. I mean, the first time I kind of got out of the way, and that was that. But uh, well, now how about that? I, I, I won't, I won't order it myself, you know. Okay. And I don't think I've had it more than two or three times since I was here. Now, what's it, it like? A special thing? Like you, you kind of have to go out of your way to get, or is it something that's like? You go to the restaurant. No, 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 chicken. but usually they only serve it in the winter. Okay. It's but considered it's, a winter it's like food. It's not just like something that's exotic you have to go to get. It's like, you know, it's, it's like chicken or, chicken or dog. Is that kind of like how it is? Well, especially in this part of China, yeah, in Guangdong, it's very, very common. Where the fuck do they get all these dogs? Is it like chickens? I don't oh, know. No. You see you pictures of, like, it. dog farms. You go to the oh, wet markets, you can see the dogs hanging up. It's uh, oh, unsettling. Yeah, that is unsettling. You know? Change the subject. That's <laughs> I'm fascinated by it, but it's like it's people get upset. But uh, yeah, that's weird, man. But I mean, in in India, they like revere the cow, and they probably you know we eat tons of cows here, so people need to you right. Know, yeah, they probably think, oh my god, a steak. You yeah. want me to throw up? Now, what are they? What what time we got here? You can, you you said you can go for a while, right? Yeah. All right. Well, let's chat for at least another half hour if you can, or at least until we get sick of each other. Okay. So, so, uh, <laughs> but we got like five minutes left until the live audience is gone. So, uh, okay. Steve Ray is like persistent. So let, let, let's let, let's off by one thirty, so I, I have a little time to prepare and do all that stuff I got to for tonight. Yeah. What time is it there? It's like it's about it's midnight. So on one p.m. Okay. All right. I've been one. Yeah. yeah. We'll go like another half hour. Just to cover for that time okay. we lost and sort of uh, sure 
Steve Ray is like persistent about this uh, coup thing, but you don't know anything about this thing, uh, so we we already covered that, Steve. Uh, <laughs> um, so where, maybe he's oh, just upset you uh, teased him about the cherubic voice. Oh no, he has a he has a cherubic voice. Oh okay. Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll set, he sent me like a picture of the Chinese characters. I don't have time to forward it to you now, so we'll uh, we'll. We'll wrap up the live show here with uh, how folks can get it. Uh, the book, of course, is uh, China Weird, and uh, it's available on Amazon, right? Yeah. Just go to Amazon.com. If you touch uh, type uh, China Weird into the search bar, that should be your first result. I love the title. It's available in – The more it just grew on me over time, I love the title. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think making it China weird in that order, I think, was actually John's idea. Well, he's a genius. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So and, and it's because of the cover design that he thought of that. He wanted China to be big and red, so uh, anybody interested in China might want to read it, you know, not just paranormal buffs. Exactly. Well, there's tons in there about China, like you said, oh, obviously, but there's tons in there that's not paranormal uh, about China that – it's just fascinating in its own way. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. There's some interesting paranormal autobiographical tidbits too that people might enjoy reading. Here's something pretty cool. I, so, I, I haven't checked it yet, but it looks like no one owns ChinaWeird.com. So you should buy ChinaWeird.com like now. There you go. <laughs> so, so uh, what, was this your debut as a forward writer? Also, yes, this is my first forward. So I I did my best. I tried I tried uh you know I tried my best, folks. I was very struck. I thought it was a fantastic forward. I think all that practice over at Coast doing the news has made quite a writer out of you. I do I, I, I write a lot now. Let's put it that way. I write a lot now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So folks, go to Amazon, punch in China weird, and the book's like five bucks or something, right? Five or six bucks. Yeah, $5.49. If you have a Kindle Select or Unlimited, you can get it for free. It's included. There you go. So, uh, and, but the, you know, I said at the beginning, I I can't even really put the words to it. Uh, We're going to chat a little bit more, but uh, we'll sort of pivot here. But, I mean, the books, it's, uh, it has a special place in my art because it was born out of these chats on this show. So it's like, that's Folks, right. If you've been That's all right. America, a listener, child of the, you know, support a fellow listener and pick up this guy's book for five bucks, and you'll enjoy it because it's really fucking cool. And uh, there's the picture of the little guy in there, so you get that and tons of stories and amazing stuff. It really is. Uh, it's also the only paranormal book with hot Asian chicks. With hot Asian chicks. Well, I I'm going to lose uh I'm going to lose the phone. I just got a warning message. No, no, no. No, don't worry. She's What do you mean? You're going to What do you mean you're going to lose the phone? I just heard a voice say 30 seconds. Oh, or no, something. that's just the lady who cuts us down on the live show for my end. Don't worry about her. She's once she says oh, we're going to be recording okay, after okay. she goes. Thanks to the folks who tuned yeah. in live uh in the chat room and elsewhere. Sorry for the crazy uh Sorry for the crazy uh, technical difficulties there earlier, but um, of course, and thanks. And thank you everyone for sticking with us and putting up with the 
you know, uh, characteristic glitches of life in China. Yeah, yeah. So I'm proud of you, man. You wrote a fucking book. That's awesome. Well, thanks for uh, putting me up to it. <laughs> yeah. The, the only paranormal book with hot Asian chicks. There you go. Well, it's like one of the only, if if not the only paranormal book written by an American or an English-speaking guy living in China trying to get to the bottom of these things. I mean, that's what makes it really special beyond the fact that, like, uh, you know, it it came out of this crazy institution. That is this. That might be true, because, like, I couldn't find anything else about it. You know, you can find maybe an article here or a forum there, but uh, really nobody's written a book. Um, about that stuff in China. Yeah. So it's an invaluable. And, and I hope what it does is uh, will uh, inspire or encourage, uh, you know, very serious paranormal researchers or mysterious creature seekers or whatever. Curious minds. To man. come curious over mind. here and, and do the deeper research on these things that they love to do. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a fresh, it's a fresh environment, you know. Well, can you go over there and say, I want to go find the Yaren, or are they going to, like, you know, be assholes? And say, I don't know if you can say that, but you can visit the park, sure. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping that you and uh, you, you'll get your ass over here, and we'll traipse around for a while. I may have to. You know, to buy some train tickets here. and check out the Shenong. What's that? I may have to if things keep getting worse here. I'll jump ship to China. What's the what's the take there you on? Go. What's the take? Uh, it's, like, obligatory. It's so awful, but... What's the take in China on what's going on here in America? Because, you know, it's crazy time. Uh, I I haven't really uh, noticed much change in the people in regards to that. I know when I was at the local Starbucks watching the election online, uh, all the people there seemed to be in favor of Trump. When I went to one large international company to teach my usual English class, those people, uh, I would say, were majority Clinton, but they were split. And uh, at uh, the place where I'm going to teach tonight, um, they don't seem to have any strong opinion one way or the other. The, the thing about Chinese is they're, they're – typically apolitical because they don't have a lot of say in the process anyway over here. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah, that's true. So they're not like worried about him or anything, uh, worried about Donald Trump or anything. I, I haven't picked up on that. I'm sure there's it, some people are, there's always somebody, but I, nobody said anything to me. And when I've asked classes about it and stuff, uh, they usually their feelings were not all that strong. Interesting. So it was it was kind of like, yeah, we support her, we support him, but they weren't real passionate about it. Right, right. Except for the people in Starbucks that day on the day of the election, they were actually cheering and laughing that Trump was ahead. Well, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. He, I don't know if he likes China or not. Who knows? You know, but hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can still all get along. That's the thing with these politicos and high-level businessmen, you know? You can never believe that they mean what they say, you know? You know is, is he saying this to set something up, or are they saying this to deflect from that? I mean, you never really know how to how to read it, you know? Exactly, 
exactly. So tell me in, briefly, let's include this so we get some extra paranormal in for folks. So tell me about this lake. I love lake okay. monsters. So let's do the lake monster. Give, give me the yellow. Turn off lake monster. Yeah, we missed that the first show, didn't we? We, we, we? All we did was mention it in the UFO story. Yeah, we talked about that TV so, segment. And uh, in the TV segment, it was, I think, the UFO sighting had taken place uh, at the lake that the lake monster lived, but we didn't know much about it then. So we kind of can jump in right where you don't need to recount the UFO sighting because we talked about that last time. So No, uh, but I, I, right I think that lake monster, monster may be it, – it's not well known uh, outside China – but I, I think it might be the best documented lake monster uh, in existence. Why do you say that? You know, I mean, as far as documentation for lake monsters go, there's a lot of video footage. There's a lot of photographs. There were scientific expeditions. Uh, you know, that's um, they have hypotheses about what it could be. What do they think? It and uh, it, it's just really remarkable that it's not more widely known among lake monster enthusiasts. Well, tell us about it. What, but, what, 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 what do they think? It is it like well, a... It, go on. I'm ready. Let's okay. See. Well, it, 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 first of all, it's in a very, very remote location that even in this day and age, 2017, from here in Shenzhen, it would take at least three days to get there. You'd have to fly to a a city called, called Orumqi, which is the capital of Xinjiang province. And from there, you have to get <clears throat> sketchy ground transportation into the region, which takes two days because it's not developed. And it's way, way up in the northwest corner of China, right on the Russian-Mongolian border. So where those three countries come together, China, Mongolia, and Russia, is where this lake is. And it's cold even in the summertime. Like, you know, in July and August, you know, the highest temperatures in the daytime would be like in the 60s for American listeners. Yeah. 20s for those of you who use metric. So it's it's pretty remote and it's inhabited largely by uh, Tuvan herdsmen who trace their heritage back to Genghis Khan, who wow. is credited with naming the lake Khanas Lake. Okay, so and if so you look at their lifestyle, it is very similar to the Mongolian. You know, they wear these; they have colorful traditional outfits. Uh, it's very horse-based. They live in yurts or similar shelters. Uh, and they've had legends for thousands of years, uh, well, I guess about a thousand years, about the lake monster that lives there. And they say that it's there to protect the lake. They call it the spirit of the lake. Other people have called it a uh, jiao long, which is some kind of a dragon. Long means dragon. And I can't for the life of me figure out what Jowlong, what kind of dragon that is. I've asked people, I've looked it up, I've researched it, and some people say scaly dragon, some people say water dragon, some people say shiny dragon. Uh, nobody really knows exactly what kind of a dragon this is, but that's 
what the Chinese word for this in the ancient literature is, is Zhaolong. Interesting. Okay. And because the great Khan wanted to be buried there, he summoned to the lake to protect that area, this Zhaolong. And I don't really know. Great Khans have a way of summoning things that we mere mortals don't. And uh, that's the story about how the monster got in the lake. Uh, but it seems to me that the Tuvans might have a more ancient tradition than that story of Genghis Khan calling it there. I mean, especially if it's like a biological thing, right? Right, right. yeah. I'm assuming Could, that they just sort of attached that story like in later years to make him sound cool like they, yeah. they did with the guy with the pyramids, but uh, who knows. But the thing apparently, I mean, even to this day, the Tuvans say that occasionally livestock that wander too close to the lake shores will be eaten by it. Well, is it so that doesn't sound like a spirit like creature. A historical thing? Well, uh, <clears throat> some of the older accounts, uh, the Tuvans will say they have witnessed the monster, uh, you know, uh, darting its head out of the lake, grabbing a, a cow or something and dragging it back in. Jesus. In the more recent account, it's more like uh, the cow was browsing by the lake. It's missing. The lake monster must have gotten it. They didn't really see the thing jump out and eat it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a difference in, 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 in the newer accounts and, and the older ones. But uh, the the Chinese word for this is the Kanasohu Shui Guai, the Kanas Lake Monster. Uh, Shui so Guai is like been, water monster. Have they tried? You said something about like expeditions or something. Have they tried to like scientifically? Yeah. Tell me about so, that part of it. The, the first expedition I think occurred completely by accident because uh, when the Cultural Revolution was ended and the Gang of Four were defeated and Deng Xiaoping took over China with the intent to modernize and awaken and open the country to the rest of the world. Uh, one thing he wanted to do was send out these scientific expeditions to chart and catalog regions that were largely unexplored. And one of the things they did was from the local university up there was send a team out to the Kanas Lake region uh, just to examine the terrain, the local flora and fauna take pictures and samples and things like this. But it was on that expedition that one of the scientists uh, saw what he thought was a humongous fish, ginormous fish yeah. in the lake. So he, he took a picture from where he was standing. All right. And the, the pictures are in the book. You can, you know, listeners can, uh, get the book and, and see the pictures. And I put the whole sequence in there. So it's very clear for everybody. He took a picture from, a, uh, a high point overlooking the lake. And you can clearly see the shadow of the fish under the surface of the water. All right. Whatever it is, you can clearly see the outline of the fish, the shadow of the fish in the water. And then what they do is they draw uh, in the next picture. There's a outline, the, the, the fish is outlined to make it clearer. 
And then in the third picture, they remove without resizing anything, right? Just keeping the scale the same. They detach a tree from the shoreline and uh, they, they lift the fish out of the water and lay it next to the tree. And putting these two things together, you have like a 30-foot fish. Jesus. Uh, which in a lake is, is huge, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's bigger than a great white shark. Yeah, it's literally monstrous. Yeah, and uh, for freshwater, that is, uh, you know, exceptionally uh, unusual, even more so than uh, for salt water. Yeah, you can get 60-foot fish in the ocean, but never a lake. So the hypothesis uh, became at that time that this was some oversized type of uh, salmon called a taimung. Taimon, and a uh, taimon is like a, a, a freshwater salmon that lives up in uh, Siberia, Mongolia, far northern China, places like that. <clears throat> I'm trying to see if I give the length in the book here. And uh, Well, I don't want to waste too much air time. People can buy the book if they want to see the exact length, but they show it clearly next to the tree. So that became the hypothesis, and uh, yeah, I'm looking at the photo now. Then uh, it's, uh, it's other remarkable. people, what's that? I'm looking at the photo now, and it, it's it's pretty. Again, folks, this is in the book, so it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's one of the better sort of like intriguing monster photos I've seen, even though it's still pretty blurry. But go on. Right now, that was like uh, early '80s, I think that expedition. And then and there's a photograph of the guy who took the photograph also. And another scientist at another university said, oh, that's impossible. You can't have time in that big in that area. So he launched his own expedition, and they laid dragnets everywhere. <clears throat> and they didn't catch anything bigger than like uh, two meters which is like a, you know, around six feet. Yeah. They said that was the biggest fish they caught. So then there was another expedition out there. And these are all reputable university scientists who are right. trying to figure out what's in this unexplored regions. And their minds are wide open because China has been isolated for 50 years by, uh, you know, well, by first, well, I guess 30 years, first by the civil war, then by the cultural revolution. And, they don't know what's going on. Their minds are wide open. They would just want to get out and learn everything they can, right? Right. And they're coming at it from a much more uh, open approach yeah. than your typical Western science, academic scientists do. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to say scientists. Academic scientists means they've been poisoned by academia. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you have plenty of scientists who are either – are self-educated or have broken free of academia. Those are the ones we love. So uh, anyway, uh, they go there and they said, okay, well, let's see what it is. And they lay these, uh, they, they lay these nets out, like these same nets. And they've brought special nets with them. These like are super strong industrial nets. They're knife proof. They're fireproof. You know, they're, you, you can't, break them if you drive a, a truck through them, this kind of thing. They're super nuts, yeah. 
Right, super nets. So they lay one of these across the lake, and they figure, well, you know, we'll catch anything that swims down here. Well, they went back to retrieve the net the next day, and it was gone. All right. So they figure, all right, we must have drifted downstream. They go downstream. They can't find the net. Go, can't be upstream, can it? So they go upstream to the mouth of the, uh, 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 where the river comes into the lake. And that's where they find the net at the upstream side. Hmm. So then they think, well, it had to be pulled here by something. Yeah. Crazy. And whatever pulled it, they never saw. Yeah. Very strange. So, uh, you know, they don't really know what pulled the net, but it had to be something big. And you got to remember, at this time in China, it's not like you have recreational boaters out on every lake in China zooming around in speedboats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right. really the only boats on that lake at all, not even local fishermen, are the uh, forest patrol. They're the only ones out there. They don't have many boats. So it's very unlikely that it was one of them who pulled the boats off because they would have been cooperating with the scientists to lay the thing out there to begin with. It's very interesting. So the mystery so, deepens. Yeah. <clears throat> you have a photograph by a reputable uh, aquaculturist uh, of a giant fish that's very clear. You have another uh, uh, aquatic biologist who tried to catch that fish. He couldn't find anything even approaching that in size. And then you have another group of scientists who say that something so big in there, it actually dragged our supernet upstream and dropped it at the mouth of the lake. So what is it? What do you think it is? I don't know. Uh, there's there's video of it as well. And actually in the book, I put real links to the videos. If you have a Kindle Fire, you might be able to tap that link and go to the website. I don't know, but you can, you know, type it out by hand if you have to. Yeah. The most recent video was in 20, May of 2015 done by what I take to be a foreign traveler based on his username on the Chinese website. And he's got like a four or five minute video up there that shows what could be the Connaught's Lake monster. There's another video from 2012 from a school teacher of what could be the Connaught's Lake monster. And uh, there's, I think I put a link also to some news footage. Well, having seen uh, the videos, unexplained me- video footage. Having seen the video, what's that? Give, having seen the videos, give us sort of a tease of what the of what the videos show, because you know it's a this is radio, so we don't, you know just telling people to go. That I mean, they they should get the book because the links are in the book. But tell us what's tell us what you see in these videos. At least one of them. I mean, I, well, in in either video, it's pretty obvious you're not looking at an inanimate object. There's a lot of water being churned by something that is clearly alive. You can see what is clearly some kind of a body, but it's not necessarily clear if you're looking at 
a giant body that's doing something or say a group of small bodies like a school of fish. Yeah. But it doesn't look enough like a school of fish to dismiss it. In fact, I think the, uh, the school teachers video is, is the most intriguing. Okay. Yeah. I just got these on, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy folks. Yeah. It's like a Japanese, it's a Chinese, excuse me. It's a Chinese, it's like a Chinese version of YouTube. That, uh, right. Because I was going to say, like, are these on YouTube? I, but uh, One of them I uploaded to YouTube, and I, I give the link in the book. All right, maybe I'll try that one. But... It was, I think some uh, – I think uh, – Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, Mrs. Lee's footage, yeah. Yeah. It's loading very slow. Because that was hard to find. Uh, that was hard to find, that video, so I thought I'd better save it for uh, A rainy day. posterity on uh, – YouTube, and you never know when the Chinese government's going to go after this stuff. They don't seem actually too interested in it. If people want to talk about monsters and Yeren and stuff, uh, have at it, because it's a completely apolitical topic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, there are and they themselves are paying for expeditions. Yeah. There are some intriguing. Uh... Yeah, they are. There are some pretty interesting uh, videos. If you like videos of like possible sea monsters, this is great. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, and then there's a <clears throat> uh, another story of one of the uh, boat pilots for the Forest Service that sees like a giant tail come out of the water at the same time as an earthquake strikes. So he and his uh, friend, they're out on this. Uh, he and his uh, partner, they're out on this boat doing their their, their daily patrol. And they they see something strange. They want to go investigate it. They go over there, and all of a sudden, this giant creature leaps out of the lake, comes you know falls back into the water with this enormous splash, rocks the boat. They're like, Jesus Christ, our boat's too small for a monster this size, and they hightail it out of there back to shore. And they realize, uh, first of all, they ask for bystanders. Hey, did you get a picture of that? Did you get any uh, video of that? And nobody did. And what, as it turns out, the reason nobody was filming this monster is because exactly at that moment, there was an earthquake. Right. Uh, just a couple miles epicenter. The epicenter was just a few miles away from there, right? Yeah. And they think that maybe this earthquake somehow disturbed the creature. And now that I see... There's a lot of talk on the internet about uh, uh, fish washing up on shore right before deep sea earthquakes. Yeah, that happened recently. So now you've got yeah. a correlation of uh, water creature disturbance and earthquakes. I'm sure there is a connection. Uh, yeah. So, all right. It's interesting. I think we're. I, I want to get you going because you said one uh, thirty, so we're we're closing in on that. So again, people, you should definitely pick up that. You should definitely get uh, China Weird the uh, the URL, dude. Because uh, then you could. I don't know if you could. Can you buy URLs in China from here? From there, probably right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. sure you can. You should buy China Weird, man. That way you can di- just direct it right to the Amazon uh, buy page. Um, That's a good idea. Yeah, you don't even have to build a website or anything. Just direct it there. So we can tell people just go to China Weird. 
but it's only like. And five I'll tell you ago. something else. When I, I there's a there's a discovery I just made this morning we haven't gotten to yet. What's that? They've discovered giant footprints in uh, Guizhou province. What do you mean giant footprints? Guizhou province is in southwest China, and you may because you're uh, turning circles that uh, are always researching the weird, you may be familiar with some 300 million year old footprints, I think from Kentucky. They look like human footprints in this 300 million year old rock, right? Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen pictures of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they found the same thing last August in uh, Guiyang province of China. I think it was in Pingyan Village, if I remember correctly. I just came across that on Sina Weibo today. Weibo is like a blog uh, site, uh, news and blogs. And uh, they have photographs. Uh, this guy with his foot in one of these, what looks like a human foot in this, you know, 400 million year old rock laying on the surface in uh, Guizhou province. And there's two footprints together that look like a left and a right foot. And they're enormous. They're like four times the size of a normal footprint. Jeez. I'd like to see, uh, you know, the paleontologist explain that. Yeah, that made the news like in September. So it's not, they didn't just discover it. You have to Google it. I just Googled it to see it. No, no, I said they discovered it in August, but I just found out about it today. Okay, I thought you you were saying you found that. All right, I'm sorry, I was confused because I was like, holy shit, how did I not hear about this? I was like Googling it. Then I was like, then I remembered, I was like, wait a minute, that's kind of like that story. Um, All right, well, yeah, so folks, get the book, man. Like, uh, Carl did all this work, and he's a listener like you guys, you know? And that's what's really cool about this book. He's, he's like me. He's interested in this stuff, and he went out and tried to find out more about it. And he was kind enough and generous enough and talented enough to put it all together for everybody else, which is amazing, man. Uh, you know, people give me a bunch of shit because I haven't written a book yet. So it's like you, uh, you've, you've set the pace here. Well, you did write the foreword. Yeah, so I'm on my way you there. You did write the foreword for this. Your your name's on the cover, Tim. Yeah, I'm on my way. So don't be getting mixed up in any international incidents or anything, Carl, because then they're going to be like, Carl DeMarco was arrested <laughs> for, you know, something crazy. And then it'll be like, then they'll all come after me. <laughs> yeah, they'll say, wait a minute, who's this Tim Benall who's got yeah. his name on his book? He must be involved. Right, exactly. So... But, man, yeah, well, I, it sounds like you're doing well over there, and uh, I, I, I commend you, dude. I can't, I can't put you over enough. You, uh, you went out and did it, you know. You went out and wrote the book, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a fun read. It's a lot of fun and, um, and fascinating and interesting on all these different levels. That's what I like about it, you know. It's unlike a lot of books out there in the paranormal folks, so, and, it, and that's a good thing. So, I guess thanks for... Coming back on the show. Congrats, man. I don't know what else to say, dude. Congrats. I hope people buy the book. They should buy the book. And, you know, good luck on all. Well, I hope you get a vacation uh, that gives you time to get over here and do some monster hunting with me because we could have a really good time. 
I'd love to. I'd love to. I need to, like, win the lottery so I can just travel around the world and visit all of my friends, like you and my buddies in Japan and everything else. So, uh, Yeah, yes, you do. Until that happens, uh, <laughs> we'll have to... Uh, see, and you could do your show from location. Oh, that's a definite, yeah. Although, dude, I don't Wouldn't know. Wouldn't that be, be badass, huh? Then I'll be breaking the Chinese law in China. I don't know if I can go that far. Well, I don't know if I could, actually. I, I, maybe, you, no, I could just call in on the phone, so it'd be fine. Yeah, I don't so. think they'd care. You say that now. <laughs> well, I, I will someday <laughs> make it over there, dude. It doesn't sound like you're leaving anytime soon. And, you know, stay in good health, and I'll 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 see you in China, man. I'll see you in China. I promise you that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And congratulations again on uh, on the book, and good luck. Uh, I hope you're doing like a press tour. I hope it's not just us, because there's a lot of other shows. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing Grimerica on the 15th. You know those guys? No, I don't know those guys, but you should, you know. Kind of a other, similar you know, format to you, but Canadian. There you go. Well, people Very should, casual. All these other shows should get you on, because uh, these stories are amazing. And uh, I can't thank yeah. you enough again. For well, I hope so. You know, we're intertwined well, thank now, you, Carl, Tim. you and I, so it's it's going to be quite the journey. And like I said, I'll see you in China, it man, is. and thanks again for coming on the show, and congrats on the book. All right. Take care, man. Have a good one. Talk to you again, I'm sure. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. There you go, folks. That was Carl DeMarco. Congratulations to him again on the book. It is China Weird. Check it out uh, on Amazon. And like I said, it's like five bucks, folks, and it's and really got some awesome stories in there. It really does, and um, and, and ma- amazing insights into this stuff in China that we've been wondering about on the show for so long. Uh, Carl talked about it previously on the program, but now it's all down there on paper with way more details, um, and just just this, like this lake monster story, links to videos and amazing photos and uh, all kinds of stuff like that that you're not going to get anywhere else because there's nobody else out there in China <laughs> looking at this stuff. So uh, as I, you know, declared earlier, we've we've got a man in China, and it's Carl, and he's released his first dispatch, and that is uh, China Weird. So go pick it up. I wrote the foreword. Uh, thanks to Carl for asking me to do that. I, it took me forever, and I'm really sorry that, <laughs> that it did. But hopefully... Uh, Hopefully he doesn't mind, and it's all out there now. So go out and uh, pick up Weird China, folks, uh, on Amazon. I guess that's it. Uh, This isn't part of Season 9. It's not part of Season 10. It's sort of like a special episode, uh, you know, where we got Carl on here all the way live from uh, Shenzhen, China, to talk about the book and share some crazy stories. Um, Season 10, I have no idea when it's going to start right now. we kind of had this Carl thing going on, so I was so busy with 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 uh, getting the foreword done, and then uh, you know waiting and planning sort of when we'd have him on to launch the book. That uh, season ten kind of fell by the wayside for that, while I was getting all this straight notes. So now we have done the weird China uh, China weird. Sorry about that. Uh, now we've done the China weird episode. Season ten uh, can begin. Hopefully very soon. So stay tuned to Banal of America and BOA on Facebook for more information. Uh, And I guess that's about it. So my throat's killing me. 
I haven't done a show in a long time. I got to get back into show shape if we're going to have season 10 soon. But uh, we already have the logo up and everything, so it is uh, imminent. And hopefully, you know, since it is the final season in the seasonal format, we can do uh, stuff, you know, like we did tonight. Really stretch the boundaries and, uh, you know, do shows live from China, maybe do shows with guests from all over the world and try and do them live. It would be awesome. So I would like to do that. And on that note, I'm rambling, so we'll call it a night here. Stay tuned to Banal of America and BOA on Facebook for the latest on Season 10. And uh, hopefully you'll be hearing from me very, very soon. Thank you for listening, folks. It's Tim Banal, signing off.